On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are going to talk about artificial turf fields, specifically artificial turf fields on the Hamilton Public School Board Secondary Schools fields. And why are we talking about this? Because they've decided they're going to install them, which is news because it wasn't that long ago the public board had said, no, we're not doing all artificial turf fields. We're going to do a mix. Why the change? Alex Johnstone, the chair of the school board, will join us to explain. Also, there has been criticism artistic criticism of Madonna and Bruce Springsteen's latest albums that have just come out. Now, these two, once upon a time, were untouchable. Everything they touched turned to gold, to platinum, to titanium. Now, all of a sudden, less so. Is it a case that aging pop stars, aging rock stars, perhaps, should not be putting out new material and living on the great work they did once upon a time? Does it diminish their legacy when they put out stuff that isn't as good? We'll talk to Alan Cross about that. Enjoy. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. Had a press release come across my desk the other day. The headline says HWDSB announces move to artificial turf fields at all secondary schools. Uh, This is something that is standard or close to standard, I guess, at the Catholic board here in town. But it hasn't been that way in the public system to this point kind of caught me off guard because it wasn't that long ago that this was clearly not the direction the public board was taking. So it's been a bit of a pivot. Wanted to find out why. So let me bring in Alex Johnstone, who is the chair of the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, the public board, for those who don't know all the proper terminology. Alex, thanks for doing this today. Good afternoon, Scott. Uh, this, as I say, this has not always been the policy. Catholic board has kind of stuck with the artificial turf thing for a while now, but the public board has not. What what has changed? Well, we first introduced our field revitalization strategy in 2014. And since that time, we've been rolling out um, natural turf fields as well as artificial turf fields. Um, In particular, we've had an artificial turf field uh, introduced at Sir Winston Churchill. We've also had natural turf fields introduced at Westdale as well as uh, Dundas Valley Schools. And with that, uh, we've received a lot of community feedback. And that's where we've been listening to our communities. Uh, We also uh, reviewed the actual figures. So when we first uh, introduce the re- revitalization strategy with very conservative figures and uh, we've actually experienced um, a re- a, uh, the actual bills have been lower than initially anticipated and we've also recognized that we've had reduced maintenance costs over time so with all that new information and with hearing the voices of our community that's what really led to to a change at this time so is it something then that has has been recent? Because I hadn't heard of the discussions and then all of a sudden I got this press release. So has it been something that pivoted rather quickly because this information came up or has it been quietly in the works for a while? So um, Trustee Ray Maholland brought forward the, the original motion and with that um, uh, he had... Um, We've been hearing from our from our communities. So certainly, uh, Westdale community. Uh, we've been hearing that with their natural turf field, uh, there was limited community hours um, available. As uh, natural turf fields are generally limited to about 25 hours of use per week, and vast majority of those hours go to our students and to our school community use. 
versus when we're looking at an artificial turf, you have 84 hours a week. The other thing that happened is it has been an incredibly wet season, and uh, really it's been Sir Winston Churchill that's been the only school that's been able to have maximum amount of time versus our other fields across the system uh, have been significantly reduced. So we were looking at all these factors, we were listening to our communities over time, and uh, that's what, uh, with Trustee Mulholland's motion, we reviewed uh, the impact and we decided that we were in a position to make the change. Obviously, when you, when you say in the position, the follow-up to that is, is this money that was already there that was going to be spent somewhere or is this money that's going to have to be found? Because it's, surely it's going to cost a significant amount of money. Mm-hmm. So, um, like I said, we had realized um, as we began rolling out the strategy that our initial numbers were quite conservative. Um, and we also uh, realized that um, the maintenance costs for an artificial turf were significantly lower. We also found that artificial fields were generating more rental um, rental uh, fees, uh, which uh, was adding money um, back into our system. Um, what, uh, with uh, the, the revised strategy, trustees did make a commitment that we would not go over um, the annual uh, $55 million that we have allocated to our school uh, revitalization strategy. Um, and so what will happen is it's the same dollars but spread out over uh, just a longer period of time. Um, so the average cost um, is $2 million um, it's a, compared to $1.2 million uh, for real grass. So that's, that's a, it's a $0.75 million difference annually. Um, when we're looking at um, when we're looking at the fields, it's about twenty eight um, uh, two hundred sorry twenty eight thousand dollars annually to maintain a natural uh, turf field versus two uh, two thousand five hundred to maintain an artificial. So there's there's pros and cons on each side, but overall fiscally we were in a position to absorb the the difference. And when will these? When would all the fields then be done? Are we talking in the next couple of years or long term? So it's long term. Um, generally, when you introduce a new field, it has a 12-year lifespan. Um, and so one of the commitments that we have made, because we have um, either already revitalized or an installed natural turf field, or we've already tendered contracts for four of our schools, that's Dundas Valley, Glendale Secondary, Salfleet, and Westdale, um, and noting that uh, those school communities um, will not be having an artificial field immediately, we um, trustees will have a report back in the fall to look at when would be an appropriate opportunity to revitalize these fields and transition them over into artificial, recognizing that we have just spent or are in the process of spending uh, money to revitalize it with natural turf. Um, so those those fields will be changed later in time. Alex, this is where the press release to me got a little confusing because the headline said all fields are going to be going to artificial turf and then immediately it says, but that doesn't include Glendale and Salt Fleet right off the bat. And it's my understa- is it my understanding then that that's because their the construction on their new grass fields is already in play in the contract. You couldn't break the contract, so you have to go through with that. Yeah, 
you are correct. It would be irresponsible to break a contract at this point. And um, so those those contracts have been awarded. Um, so those schools, um, Dundas Valley and Westdale already have natural turf fields. Glendale and Salisley are in the process. And in fact, uh, Glendale shovels are in the ground. Um, with that, um, we will be having a report come back to trustees later in the fall, letting us know when... Um, when would be an appropriate time to review and uh, uh, and bring those those fields on board with artificial turf? Um, but uh, as it stands, we have been listening to the voices of the community. We've heard very loudly and clearly from our uh, from our physical education teachers. We've heard very loudly and clearly from our uh, from our students and and from the community itself. Um, where they have had a strong desire to have artificial turf. It means longer playing hours. And uh, with that, uh, when we reviewed uh, this opportunity, uh, we were in a position to to respond positively. And I look, I, I think the idea is great. I think the artificial turf makes tons of sense, especially in the Canadian climate because of springs like we've had and falls where it has to be shut down. But when you said listening to the community, wasn't the community asking for this and screaming for this even before the decision was made to put in the grass fields. I know at Westdale, they had a group that was lobbying for over a year to have it to be artificial turf, and they were told, no, 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 it's got to be grass. What has changed that you would listen to them now? Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, Trustee Christine Bingham was quite um, outspoken about that fact and expressed her disappointment and frustration um, part of the one of the comments that I made during the meeting is that just because we have made decisions in the past does not mean that we should always be beholden to that decision. And in fact, we should always make the right decision as we as it presents itself. We've learned a lot as we've rolled out the strategy, and part of uh, what what should be done in any process is uh, to review strategies as you roll them out. Um, it turns out that our figures were very conservative when we initially put together the strategy. Um, the actual bills have been uh, lower than anticipated. We've also experienced reduced maintenance costs, so that really narrowed the price gap. And um, with that, we saw the added benefit of uh, ensuring that we have longer um, uh, longer access to uh, or more access to the fields. Um, so uh, with, a, again, a natural turf field, it's about 25 hours per week versus with an artificial turf pe- uh, field, you can have around 84 hours a week. And uh, that's based on a seven-day um, or a seven-day-a-week access. And um, uh, looking at the pros and cons and looking at the fact that we were in a position fiscally to absorb the costs, that's where we, we look to make the change. And really, uh, we... It wasn't that we made the incorrect uh, decision previously. It's that we made a very uh, prudent and uh, diligent decision um, decision previously. And uh, now we're in a position where we can uh, make that change and make it with confidence. Well, and again, I understand that you are one vote. You are not fully responsible either way for this vote. But all the things you just said about the more field time and the access to community and the uh, upkeep costs and all the rest, those are all the things that the groups were saying ahead of time. So I'm wondering if it was, I mean, do you, you don't see it as a mistake that, hey, we can fix this in the future, but that was an error to go ahead with the grass fields for this one or these ones? 
not at all. Uh, we we would not know that um, that uh, the costs were conservative or that the maintenance costs would be um, uh, much lower than anticipated until time had passed. And um, that has happened with other strategies. Um, a perfect example would be school gyms. Um, in uh, Mount Hope, uh, we reduced or we had eliminated um, the the school um, stage. Uh, as we did at another elementary school initially because we were no longer uh, receiving funding from the province. However, after rolling out that strategy, getting feedback um, and weighing the pros and cons, it was decided that we actually did want stages for our schools and that um, that decision was reversed. I think responsible governance is where you you take a moment to, to pause, reflect, and uh, implement uh, changes uh, are right to stay um, beholden to a decision that um, is uh, upon reflection is is no longer um, I guess qualifies that would not be good governance. I only have 10 seconds, but I do have to ask this. You mentioned about rentals. Is this or could this be a revenue stream for the school as well now that you can rent it year round? Absolutely, um, and that's something that we have experienced. We noticed that Sir Winston Churchill uh, that we did have increased revenues, and uh, that's something that uh, that we are looking forward to. Alex Johnstone, chair of the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board, really appreciate the time. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Bruce Springsteen and Madonna have just released new albums within the past few days, and when they did. The Washington Post reviewers, among others, took a listen. And then the folks at the Washington Post kind of dropped the verbal anvil on the two pop-slash-rock legends. Uh, Here's a quote. Bruce Springsteen's and Madonna's new albums are strange and belong in Vegas, the Post wrote. Uh, Celine Dion, Shania Twain, Elvis notwithstanding, that was not a compliment. (laughs) That maybe once upon a time, belonging in Vegas was seen as a good thing. That, that's not meant as a pat on the back. Uh, back to the Washington Post and what they had to say. Here's another quote. Nowadays, Bruce and Madonna sound saddest when they really show us their voices. We hear them best whenever they float a bright note on a long breath. They sound exposed, vulnerable, more like human beings than bronze busts. They are not, in other words, still on their pedestal. That's what the reviewers are saying. So... The point is that artists, theoretically, can go on forever. It's not like sports where your body slows down, where it breaks down. Theoretically, you could continue writing music and continue singing for as long as you want to. Question is, should they? Alan Cross is a music historian. He's the guy behind the ongoing history of new music. He is someone we turn to whenever we have a music question we want to talk about. And he joins me now. Alan, how are you tonight? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, Are you a believer that artists should just keep pumping it out because they can, or should more artists be taking a bit of a self-reflective look and saying, you know what, maybe it's time to step back a bit? Well, artists create, and without the ability to create, they are no longer artists. And if you are talking about a Madonna or a Bruce Springsteen or Rolling Stones or anybody, you can't take that away from them because that is why they were put on this earth. This is the way, the only reason that they exist. Now, they may not be at the peak of their creative powers, but you can't stop them from from creating. And there will always be people who are fans of these uh, artists 
who will want to know what they're doing now or what they're going to do next. Same thing with a band like U2 or any artist mm. that has um, probably gone beyond what we call their imperial phase, which is that part of their career where they can't seem to do anything wrong. And you don't have to buy into these records, these new records, uh, but you can't stop the artist from doing it. The artist also has to realize that their best years are probably behind them and that they're not going to have a lot of blockbuster singles or memorable songs from the new records. Uh, and when people come to see you play live, they don't want to hear the new stuff. They want to hear your greatest hits. And But, you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe there's this one final gasp where you'll hit it out of the park. You know, Paul McCartney is a great example. I mean, <laughs> the greatest songwriter we have ever seen. Um, it continues to put out music, and some of it's actually really quite good, but it's overshadowed by everything he's done in the past. Well, you know, it's funny you bring up that name, because that was one name I had jotted down saying, what has he done since Wings? And maybe there is good stuff, and maybe you're right. Maybe it's just because it has been so good in the past that you can't really hold it up against that. Yeah, the weight of his catalog is just so, so great that it overshadows everything that he's done since. I mean, he's, he's had an opera, he's done some classical music. yes. He's, uh, he did a, a really The nice Liverpool song. Oratorio, right? Yeah, and yep. he did a really nice song with uh, Rihanna and Kanye West called 567. Um, there was a song, uh, an album called Fireman Something, that, I should know this, uh, that was really well received. But uh, when you go see Paul McCartney, or when you think of Paul McCartney, what do you want to hear? You want to hear Band of the Run, uh, Live and Let Die, and Hey Jude. Yeah, yeah. Let it be. Throw it in there if you can, and a few others. But yes, absolutely. Do Do you believe that every and this may be a just too almost too deep a theoretic or philosophical question, but does everybody have a peak creative period? Oh yeah, absolutely. Usually, uh, an act has a lifespan of about seven to eight years. Uh, other people are, are are blessed to be able to have a career that lasts much longer. And we again we talk about that imperial phase, that time of their career where the, everything is firing on all cylinders and they can't make a mistake. Uh, with U2, for example, they ran from about 1984 with the release of the Joshua Tree album, well past the Octum Baby album in 1991. And then they went into a sort of a, I don't want to call it a decline, but they had more misses than hits after that. Is there anybody or any group that comes to mind that has pulled the Barry Bonds routine and gotten better as they've aged after they've already had a great career. I mean, it, it, I can't think of anybody who really has been able to extend it. And I don't mean the singing or performing, but the producing of a bunch of new stuff. I can't think of someone who's just maintained it for the entirety of their life. Well, you probably get really deep into the weeds with that. And somebody is going to call in and, and offer some, some opinions on it. I'm trying to think now. That's a, that's a good question. Um, who has gotten better with age even now when they're in their 60s and 70s? That's that's a good that's a really good trivia question. Tony Bennett, maybe? Maybe. That's a good one because he continues to have I think he was the oldest uh performer to ever have a number 1 album and I think he was 80 something when that happened. So there's a possibility. Uh we could look at you know you might want to make a a case for Stomp and Tom. Mm-hmm. The, old, the older he got, the more notoriety he got. And by the time he died, he was this national treasure at age whatever it was. But if you're an artist, and, and I mean, I'm not, so I, I'm, I'm looking at this from the outside, but if you're an artist, I, I would imagine it would be very, very difficult to recognize when that 
imperial stage, as you describe it, or that creative epochs has passed. It, it would be really hard to say, you know what, that's done. Yeah, because that's all I've ever done. That's all I can ever do. And I don't have really any portable skills. I am a, an artist. Hmm. And if I lose my artistic abilities, well, then who am I? What's, my, what's, what's the point of carrying on? Yeah, I mean, Billy Joel is one example, and I was looking up some stuff, and I've got a long quote here that I wrote down. I'm not going to share, but I mean, essentially, he has said, I stopped writing music 25 years ago because I know anything I write today is not going to be as good as that, and why do I want to put out stuff that's not as good? But I find that self-awareness to be rare. Well, it is, and he also had a huge body of work that he could draw on for the rest of his life, which he has done with a series of solo shows at Madison Square Garden. He's been playing a monthly show there for years now selling out each one, and he doesn't have to write anything anymore. And as long as he gets his creative um, his creative fix by performing in front of an audience, great. I mean, that, that's, that's fine. You have to ask, you know, why would the Rolling Stones bother putting out records anymore? Shouldn't they just be going on the road and playing their greatest hits? Because when they show up and they want to, you know, play a new song for us, it's like, you know, can, can we play Brown Sugar? Can we get to Jumpin' Jack Flash? Can we get to Satisfaction? Um, so the, there is that self-awareness and there is that, uh, that, that need to, mm. to keep coming up with something new. Well, it, especially, in, and I mean, we started this conversation with Bruce Springsteen and Madonna, Madonna, especially in this one, when you have once upon a time helped to shape the culture, not just be part of it, but you were a driver of, you know, I can remember back in the eighties, you can too, I'm sure when there were, you, you would see thousands of young girls trying to dress like Madonna. And when she had such impact, how difficult would that be then when you've now seen Pink and Beyonce and Taylor Swift and Britney Spears and Lady Gaga and Katy Perry and all these other people sort of pass you by and you're trying to cling to that idea that I can still do this and maybe you can't. Well, I don't know. See, with Madonna, I have a real hard problem because I think there's a certain amount of ageism going against her okay. right now. Because she is still being, she's, she's still Madonna and doing what Madonna does, uh, but she's 60 and she can't get a song on pop radio anymore. Why is that? Well, it could be for the same reason you too can't get uh, a single on alternative radio anymore. It's just that the, the audience has moved on and isn't interested in what they have to offer these days. But you know, the Madonna record is is not. It she really took some chances with this record. It's 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 fairly experimental for her. Same thing with Springsteen. That is not a Springsteen sounding record that's out right now. It's it's more California instead of New Jersey. It's more uh, big production than it is Nebraska. Uh, so you got to give the artist an opportunity. You got to give the artist credit for trying something and, and trying to grow well in in the twilight of their careers. Uh, but with, again, with Madonna, I think there's there's this ageist thing going on. She's been complaining about it, and I can't say that she's necessarily wrong. It is interesting though, because I, I, again, it was not just the Washington Post. There were a number of places that I read that were critical of this. And one of the interesting things, and it's interesting you bring it up, was. Part of the problem she may be facing is a lot of the stuff that she's writing about is still problems or issues surrounding very young people, teenagers. And if you're a 60 year old woman, even though she blanched, I guess there was an interview and she got very upset that they kept pointing out that she was 60, but would you be more relevant if you sang and talked about the things that were part of your reality now? Why hide the fact that you are now living a life and you've got some experience? 
because maybe you don't want to come to terms with your own well there's that yeah, there, <laughs> that's pretty much it but if but if you're a 60 year old and again if she hears this she's probably going to phone and scream at me i don't know if she is listening uh but if you are a 60 year old why write about something that is a song for 18 year olds as opposed to the people who were your fans who are now also 50 or 60 and may not be as interested in making out or dropping drugs or doing whatever because i know she's written about both of those things on this album it's, it seems as though maybe part of the ageism and I don't dispute what you're saying, but is of her own doing that she is preaching to the wrong audience. Yeah, she's trying to pretend that she's still 27 years old. Exactly. That, that, and and the problem is that that the audience sees through that. She they know that she's not 27, and maybe there's an authenticity or a lack thereof that they that they sense in the music that just doesn't resonate. Uh, you bring a good point. Maybe the next record should be something that I mean. I'm not suggesting she does a Rod Stewart do nothing but uh, you know, show tunes <laughs> yeah, standards or sing about menopause or something. I mean, I'm well, not suggesting she go down that road. But no, but but more mature themes and more things that might appeal to those those girls that dressed like her in 1985. There is uh, one other thing here, Alan, and that is uh, even if you are okay. So uh, let's say Madonna's album is great. Uh, go ahead and put it out there. But let's say you're of you're one of those people who is. You've been around for a while. You've been doing this for a long time. You're thinking, I'm going to put on another album. If you're a big enough star, there is not going to be anybody around you who is going to tell you, you know what, Alan? Yeah, that's a that's not very good. They're just nobody's going to tell you that. No, as a matter of fact, they're they're not. Um, if you're one of these artists that have been la- that have lasted this long, you're probably bigger than your record company. You tell them what to do. And unless you have a really close confidant, I mean, Jimmy Iovine, for example who was at Interscope Records and Universal Records, had that kind of relationship with you too. Um, he could tell them, you know, straight up to their face that this wasn't good enough, go back and do it again. But those kind of people and those kinds of relationships are very short supply. Yeah, because they could right now, I mean, again, Madonna, Bruce Springsteen, they could probably put out an album of, I don't know, uh, people doing Gregorian chants in Latin and if they sang a little bit on it, they would sell. There would be an audience that would buy those albums, as you said off the top. They, they have enough of a base who will buy anything that, you know, they'll sell a few million and then, well, look, I proved you right. I should have done this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's, you, you don't know what the audience is going to eventually like or reject. And again, if you're an artist, the whole idea is that you create and you throw stuff out there. And it must be a real kick in the head when you try to make a statement artistically and maybe you try to experiment with certain things, and it's rejected. I mean, can you imagine what that must feel like? To be rejected after the success they've had? Yeah. It would be, well, w- would it ever get to them? Would they, I mean, I suppose the numbers they would realize. Oh, no, but they would look. If you're an artist that big, you know through your manager and your agent, you know exactly um, what's happening with, with the music that you put out. You measure everything these days. And they also, you know, with Madonna, for example, the album hasn't really been that much of a seller. And there are stories that she is struggling to sell tickets on this this tour that she's on. So, you know, something went wrong from a marketing point of view, from a strategic point of view. What was it? I'm sure they're, they're tearing that apart right now, trying to figure out what's going on. And Madonna is one of those people who knows where every penny is spent. She knows exactly what's going on with her career. She always has. You follow music closer than almost anybody. When you have, I was going to say elderly, wrong choice of words, but aging artists, people who have been around, do you ever get sad when you see someone come out with something and they're not the same that they once were? Oh, yes, absolutely. And when you go to a show and you realize they can't hit the high notes anymore, 
um, or that they just can't run around the states like they used to anymore, or that they look tired and old and overweight. Uh, and, and it's not that you, play, you judge them. It's that you look at them, and that's a mirror to yourself. Mm. So I remember when so-and-so could do this and sing this and, and run around for three hours at a time, and they can't do it anymore, and, oh, I can't either. Yeah, my, I'm old. <laughs> yeah, my, my idols have aged, and whether I want to believe it or not, I have aged as well. A few so years, ago, yeah. A few years ago, there was a show. I don't know how long now. I've I've completely lost track of time, which again suggests that I'm very old. Uh, but there was a show on TV that had about four or five episodes called One Hit Wonders, and they had brought back a bunch of one hit wonders from the '80s, and they just got together and played their one hits, and it was Flock of Seagulls, and all the guys with the Flock of Seagulls hair were they were now bald. Yeah. <laughs> and Mike Reno from Loverboy looked like he weighed about 400 pounds. And I, I, get, I watch this and half of you is fascinated and half of you is saying exactly what you just said is, holy moly, do I look like that? Yeah. Somebody, uh, anybody who went to a Guns N' Roses show over the last two and a half years <laughs> would have said exactly the same thing with the Axel Rose. Yeah, I, I know. I've been to a few shows and, uh, you know, <laughs> you go see, um, you know, Ozzy Osbourne, for example, and you go, oh. Oh, dear. <laughs> but there's an excuse there. Yes. Yeah, well, there is, but everybody gets old. Every, you know, a lot of these people um, did abuse their bodies and their minds uh, you know, for, for many, many years and have managed to maybe turn things around or maybe pull their socks up one last time and go out on tour. And then you look at them and you go, this is, um, this is not working for me. I, I mean, I used to, I, I still am a very big Peter Gabriel fan, and I would see him in the, you know, the, the 80s and the 90s, early 90s, when he would still, you know, dive into the audience and he would dance around the palm tree uh, on stage. And you go now, and, and he's, he's an older gentleman, still sounds pretty good, but he just doesn't have the onstage moves that he used to because he's aged. And you can't, that's, that's, not, a, that's not a judgment call, it's just, it's life. It, it does not look cool for a rock star to jump into the crowd and have to be taken out because you've broken a hip. Well, exactly. It, it just, it doesn't carry that same cool quality that once upon a time he may have had. Uh, look, I, 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 it's not that I don't want Bruce Springsteen and Madonna to continue to produce stuff because that was, that was right in my wheelhouse, my era in the eighties. It's just that I think you've nailed it is when it comes out and when it gets critically panned and when people are saying it's really not as good as it once was, it it does seem like it's reflecting on you. It's a perfect thing. I think you just said that all this stuff is looking back at us rather than us looking at them. Yeah, because we identify with that music when they were at their peak and we were at our peak and now the music that defined our youth, the people that are making that music, still making that music, aren't at their peak. And what does that say about us? Boy, I, uh, if I was a kid when Jerry Lee Lewis was a star, I don't know what I'm feeling today. <laughs> well, that's it. I mean, Jerry just got out of, uh, he just got out of uh, rehab after having a stroke. So uh, I remember seeing him perform at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction ceremonies, and he was a feeble, feeble man. Yeah. And that's not what you want from the killer. It is, uh, oh, now I'm just depressed. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, you're great. I'm just looking at this going, man, I, I suddenly think I may need to have some Geritol and then go to bed early tonight. Yeah, chase it down with a little bit of scotch. You'll be fine. Alan Cross, always love having you on. Thanks for the time today. You're welcome. It is, uh, it, it, you know what? He's right. Alan is absolutely right. I started talking about this, about the artist's themselves 
fading a little bit and should they keep doing this, but he's absolutely right. The reason I think we think about this and feel this way and probably why some of the critics are saying this as well is because this speaks more about us when we see our childhood stars and legends and artists and heroes now old or older or aging. It says that we are too. Maybe I really should reconsider my whole Drake thing and just start watching Drake. He's still young. Maybe listen to Drake. That'll make me feel young. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.